Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale, October 12th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are recording this on the eve of New York Comic Con. By the time you hear this, we will be past it. You'll hear all the juicy goodness, some cool teases, new reveals, new uh, titles being announced. It's a fun time. I know. I saw that. It's Jeff t-shirt. And Ryan, that is at the top of my list. I hope you know that. Uh, lots of cool stuff. If you missed anything from New York Comic Con, please be sure to go to marvel.com slash NYCC. It'll redirect you to all the places. And hopefully I'll have met some of you listeners at the show. If not, never be afraid to say hi. <laughs> if you see me at a future show, it's always good. I mean, you are a little bit scary, but you know, it's like it's like a bear, like a cuddly bear. Yeah, a little, a little, a little scary, but like big softy. Give me some honey and some some cheeseburgers and and I'll be fine. Just and don't uh, yeah. don't poke me. Um, yeah, don't, right, poke, we gotta, don't poke Ryan. <laughs> no. Uh, another important thing, we have, I think, 23 comics on sale this week. Why? I don't know. These things sometimes just happen. Schedules align. And it is a week full of really great stuff. So because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, we're going to run you through all those brand new comics, give you three picks. We we narrowed it down to three, although there's probably about 12 that we could have picked this week. It's that good of a week. Um, we're going to go through all those, give out some awards to all the other books, tell you what's available on collections, what is new in Marvel Unlimited, both the Infinity Comics, those exclusive scrolling comics, as well as what is hitting the rest of the service this week and then we're going to get into our reading club which is what jasmine we are talking to steve orlando about his mini series from last year around this time that we spoke really highly of on the show that we really enjoyed and it is the dark hold mini he wrote the the alpha and the omega issues and there's five individual issues from different tie-ins from different heroes from different creative teams very spooky stuff very terrifying stuff very gross stuff um with some of these issues but so good and very much in line with our spooky month. We are going to get into that in just a little bit, but let's dive into the first of the 20 plus issues this week with our first pick, Immortal X-Men number seven. This is the book that we both were like, this has got to be on the list. There's no, yes. there's not even a question about we do an whether entire podcast on this issue. Seriously. Like, so good. Yeah, it is written by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and it is primarily focused on Nightcrawler and specifically Nightcrawler during the events just after the issue five of Axe Judgment Day. One of the things I really love about all these Axe Judgment Day issues, and we have a ton this week, we have five or six, something like that, maybe more. These tie-ins will very specifically tell us where these issues fit in in terms of the reading order. So things come out in different time periods because other stories are happening. Um, so some issues happen after issue five of Axe Judgment Day. Some issues that we read this week actually happen after three or after one. Right. And there's like a little fluctuation in time. I can't wait for the like the full reading compendium when you can actually read these in order. What I would even do is pull out scenes and then place them together because they're scenes of Nightcrawler in here yeah. and the Captain America situation that happened in, I think that was Axe Judgment Day 5, mm -hmm. maybe. And like you can look at it from both sides. If so, if you read those sort of back to back and finding different ways and, and how all these things shift together, man, that would be super duper fun. If you like flip to that last page of that issue and you're like, holy hell, like what just happened? Like this issue will explain what happened, how it happened. And like, 
what the ramifications are, which I really dug. But it's very much like uh, like a cutaway scene from all that major drama. This issue really showing off Nightcrawler as the heart of the X-Men and the heart of planet Earth, really. He's he's there. He's fighting for everyone. He's pushing his faith, his faith in in mutants and humanity and eternals and, and just like life to its almost breaking point. Um, they are pushing the abilities of mutant resurrection to their breaking points in here. It's full of incredible lines, quotes. There's some Winston Churchill stuff in here. There's some big moments. There's reflections on huge sacrifices and final moments. And there was a, I think we talked about it on the show previously. There's a shot of Mystique and Destiny as they are like a washed away in, in celestial fire. And it's just a heartbreaking moment. We saw that in X Judgment Day. And we get to see that moment here from a much more personal side and why and how and and like the 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 reasoning behind that scene happening and what those characters are doing is so much more profound than just them dying here and oh it's brutal this issue is just brutal but it is so beautiful you talked about that destiny and mystique scene but that egg scene too oh mm. yeah uh, very crushing. This is to me the the epitome of a great Marvel comic. It is emotionally devastating at times. It makes you care about every single character who is on this page, who is in this storyline, and it is all depicted beautifully. It is to me exactly what we do so well at Marvel. It is a damn near perfect issue. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we have Captain Marvel number forty two, and. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Andrea DeBito, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And before I dive into this issue, I need to talk about the variant cover that Guru Hiru, like, created for this. It's a variant cover that Guru Hiru, like, drew, and it is fantastic because not only does it have Carol uh, in the center, it also has Chewie, her flirkin, and... Chewie's carrying Jeff the Land Shark, and it is adorable. I need this variant cover. But what it does really well is it presents the star of this issue front and center because this issue, yes, it is an Axe Judgment Day tie-in where both L'Oreal and Captain Marvel are being judged. But the true star of this issue is Chewie, who is also getting judged because not only are humans and mutants being judged, but every living being on the planet is being judged. And that includes the animals and aliens. And so this entire issue, except for like the bookends of the issue, is told from the perspective of Chewie, which is amazing um, because not only do we get to see like a cat just be a cat, but also like just all the shenanigans it gets himself into and like the heart that like this character has. Like, again, this is another issue where it shows like what we do best at Marvel, which is like these are real characters like they have real feelings they you know like the entire time the person who's judging chewy is carol like a version of carol that is the progenitor and it is so adorable because she, he just wants to like make his mom happy like it's but at so the same cute. time he's like you know what this is just what i do like i'm yes like i'm i'm a good kitty like leave it to the cat to be like oh you're judging me cool i don't care like i'm just gonna do what i want to do anyway it's so good Andrea DeVito coming in here so good. Uh, there's a note at the end that Andrea used his cat as reference. And I know Kelly also has cats. And as someone who has cats here, it, that like 
the depiction of Chewie's mannerisms and movements and just facial expressions. So pitch perfect. So good. And the cool thing too is it there's this amazing double page splash where it takes Carol's apartment and just splits it like horizontal, like vertically in half. It gives you the like uh, the environment, but also like the thing that I like is while this is a lot of action that's happening in the book, like there's a main action plot here. Chewie takes a beat in the issue and takes the time to like really heal or help someone else heal, which I think was really cool because he is making the time to like make sure that everyone's okay, which I really appreciated. All right, our last of three picks is Namor Conquered Shores number one. And Namor did not disappoint. Holy moly, I love it. I love it. I was surprised how much I loved it. Uh, it comes to us from writer Christopher Cantwell, artist Pasquale Ferry, colorist Matt Hollingsworth, and letter Joe Caramagna. And it is basically a alternate universe storyline in which the Kree have wiped out all of the surface world for the most part and the heroes have gone off into space to battle the Kree and the the seas have risen and Atlantis and the Atlanteans all the merfolk or sea folk as it were they basically are just like living their best lives they've prospered yeah. they've, they've flourished Namor has been they are thriving. Namor has been king for many years, and and this is him as an older uh, gentleman. And the first time you see him, there's this beautiful full page splash of him appearing uh, on the surface world, and he's got like whitish grayish temples, but he still looks cool. You could the way that Pasquale draws the lines on his face and the that feeling of time and experience kind of weighing on him, but humbling him, maturing him in ways that make him a slightly softer, better person is so evident in that one shot. Pasquale is a master. There's no way to get around it. He's been doing this for a long time. And so those lines and then, you know, Matt Hollingsworth, who is also incredible to see that come together in this one shot is amazing. So we get mm -hmm. this universe in which Namor is like, He's like, hey, man, we won. Peace. And and where do they go from here? There's a really funny moment about nostalgia and what that means. And it's it is funny in the way so much. So good. It is funny in the way that Christopher Cantwell, you know, writes humorous scenes and characters where it's it's tinged with all the drama around them and all the the mystery of, of whatever is going on. If you are excited about Namor. Boom, this is a great issue that gives you perspective on why this character is so beloved by many people for many, many years. He's one of my favorites, and this one shines, shines, shines. Um, all right, like we said, we got a lot of friggin' books to get to, but before we get into that, we have to talk about our quote of the week and some community stuff. All right, so last week's Blessed Be Arthur, My Prayers Have Been Answered Award came from Edge of Spider-Verse number five, and our winner... Uh, this week is Christopher Shep Anthony, who says, Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jasmine. Love you both and the pod. I've never written in before, but every Wednesday I enjoy looking for the quote of the week when I buy my books. Very happy to find this week's quote in my favorite issue of the week, Edge of Spider-Verse number five. I can relate to Webweaver on a deep and fabulous level, and I'm so excited to see this representation in my favorite comics. Can't wait to watch this character weave his web in the end of Spider-Verse. Awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that you feel 
seen and recognized in this character. I do as well. He is fantastic. If you haven't checked out Web Weaver, make sure you pick up Edge of Spider-Verse number five. Uh, but we do have some honorable mentions as well. We have Super 7-5, who uh, started to recite the lyrics to Golden Girls, which is great. Um, starting a, a short chain of responses from some of our other listeners as they continued uh, the lyrics. It was pretty cute. And we also have another email from Monica Reed, who says... Hi, I normally find these long after the podcast, but I am so excited that I found it this time on New Comic Book Day. I know I'm probably not the first, but now I am just happy to participate. Also giving kudos to my local shop, Captain Toys and Comics in South Carolina. This is our first South Carolina uh, pullist representative. I'm so excited. I'm filling this one in. I'm going I'm to do it a nice deep blue, I think. Um, maybe a light blue. Let's go with a light blue. But... She continues saying, when I first moved, it was the second shop I went to and the only shop where the owner stopped what he was doing to talk to me when he found out I was looking for a new home shop. The staff is insanely nice and incredibly knowledgeable, and if you're ever in the area, you should stop by. I definitely will. I'm saving this for the future whenever I visit. Anyway, just wanted to share my pride at finding this the day it came out. Monica, aka finally not three weeks behind in my reading. I love you, Monica. This is great. So excited to have you. Uh, writing in and filling in for South Carolina. Thank you all for sharing everything. Um, we got to get into this week's award name. What do we got, Jazz? All right. This week to satisfy the spooky themes, spooky month, the spooky gods, we are going with the Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award. When you find this quote, screen cap it, tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com if you're among the first keep your dms open and your emails open and uh we will get back to you all right time to get into all these books and give out that let's catch up evil stepmom award we're kicking off with three official axe judgment day tie-in issues first up is axe death to the mutants number three this one wraps up the Axe Death to the Mutants limited series where we get to see big plans for the Eternals, for the Mutants, for the Avengers kind of come to fruition. There's a great moment in here with Exodus and one of the, the Hex, the giant, giant Eternals. But I want to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to the devastating last couple of pages and um, the, the things that happen to a sort of character that has been with us for the last like two years through books that Kieran has been writing. And man, the, the stab through the heart that I felt in that. All right. Next up we have Axe Eternals number one. And this is kind of like following that same arc that's been going on between Axe uh, Avengers number one and Axe X-Men number one, where we are spotlighting the three leaders of these different teams, these different factions working together as they take, as they are invading the progenitor and trying to essentially terminate it. But this particular issue spotlights Ajax, and I think this is my favorite one out of all three because it asks some very difficult questions. Like, obviously, this issue spotlights Ajax. She gets my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award because she has the most impossible tasks. Like, she is being judged against her god. She's fighting on nothing but faith, but she knows that her god is wrong. The challenge that her god places against her is insane. Like, would drive any normal person, like, insane. Like, completely wild. On to Axe Iron Fist number one. This one gets us not just the judgment of the current Iron Fist, former Swordmaster, but the judgment of one Loki, the god of stories. I don't want to get 
too deep into all the intricacies, especially the judgments there, but I will give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to the just the shots of Loki eating popcorn and watching things go on. <laughs> it's just really, really funny and very like on brand for the tone of Loki. Next up, we have All Out Avengers number two. And if you've been following along the series, each issue takes place in the middle of the action of this this arc. This issue follows the last issue in its like small little arc. But um, the thing I like about it is it's doom versus doom. It's the goodness of doom versus the bad side of doom, like the dark doom as, as they're put in this issue. Um, and as much as I would love to give my uh, Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to that particular doom, the the good doom, I have to give it to Blade because Blade is just so cool. And I, I I wish we would have gotten more of him on the Avengers and like getting this issue was so just yummy because I'm like, oh, he's such a good Avenger. Like he's mm-hmm. just a fun dynamic on the team and him and Doom just chef's kiss. Love it. On to Amazing Spider-Man number 11. Another one nearly could have given our pick to. This one was a lot of fun. This is, as you see on the cover, the return of the Hobgoblin. Which Hobgoblin? You gotta keep reading this storyline so we can find out. I will give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom to Zeb Wells writing this line in this amazing uh, big splash page that John Romita Jr. draws. It's Hobgoblin on his glider and he's coming in to like terrify some people. Hobgoblin says, tonight your acrid crop comes to harvest and madness rides the night wind. I... Loved it. It was so bananas and over the top and perfect. And also a Trojan horse of a love story. Mm. Next up, speaking of possible picks of the week, this next issue, Black Panther number 10 could have easily been one of my picks of the week because I immediately slacked Will Moss because I was like, this was so good. Like I thought that like the way it was handled was very elegant, but it's essentially Black Panther leading the Avengers against the colonizer um, and one of the colonizers, I guess, soldiers or leaders who is referred to as the Buffalo Soldier. If you're not familiar with the Buffalo Soldiers, um, there's a long, complicated history about who these men were and you know what part they played in the country's expansion um, into the West. And the cool thing about it is it's weaved into this story in a nice organic way where like not only do the audiences learn about this history, but so does Black Panther. And the resolution of this issue against the Buffalo Soldier is one of the most masterful things that I've seen done in Marvel Comics. I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom to John Ridley for the way he's handled this storyline. Because not only was last issue amazing with the, like with the way he handled the colonizer and the themes that he presented, but this issue just elevated that even more. And I am digging this. Another possible pick was Daredevil number four. This one is a huge issue. I don't want to give away too much, but it's it's cool stuff for Cole North, detective who um, has been a, an integral part of writer Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil for the last you know four years or so. Um, it is a big issue for like recruitment for Dare mm. the Daredevils. What they do, I will give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award for the final big splash page, the last page of the issue is a shot of the two daredevils. I won't say how, what, why, where, anything about it, but it is beautifully staged. You can feel like the emotions and the energy coming off of them. The way that the colors are painted in here, it is just gorgeous. And it is very important for the future of what's going on in this book. So definitely check this one out. Next up, we have Fantastic Four number 48. And and this is the second part of the Axe Judgment Day tie-in. 
um, where it's very much like a like a diehard inspired type story where it's an invasion on the Baxter building that centers around the invisible woman against Ublet, who's one of my favorite villains. And I was going to give my my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to the things that are revealed about Ublet at the end of this issue. But I forgot that this amazing variant cover featuring Miracle Man exists by Mark Buckingham. And it is the Fantastic Four and Miracle Man front and center. And it is so good. Like, it's just very, like, classic, very, like, stylized in Mark Buckingham's, like, aesthetic. But also just gives you those, like, Bronze Age feels. Like, it, it it's very, like, Kirby-esque. Like, I want this cover. I need to frame this cover. It's so cool to see these types of iconic heroes, like, all together in one. All right, we've got Gambit issue number four this week. I want to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to Lila Cheney. I love Lila Cheney. Comics needs more Lila Cheney in this year, in the future, forever. She is a intergalactic thief and mutant teleporter. Her ability is to teleport, but only over like enormous distances. And so she's also a rock star. Gosh, she rules so much. I love she's so Lila cool. Cheney. She's so cool. We need more of her. And so please uh, write into your congressman, congresswoman, your local, you know, uh, state officials and uh, tell them you need more Lila Cheney. All right. Next up, we have Janice Vell, Captain Marvel number four. And I'm going to give it right off the bat. Phyla Vell is one of my favorite cosmic heroes. Seeing her in Al Ewing's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy run was so much fun. But seeing her here, too, has been a joy. So I'm going to give her my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to Phyla Vell. Yeah. We've got issue number seven of Ghost Rider this week. Again, another issue we could have picked. This series, it feels like a road trip, like a bike getting faster and faster as it hits the road and it's really getting more ground in front of it and behind it. It just continues to kick ass. Uh, I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to a brand new character introduced in here called Exhaust. It's a really cool design. So cool. The origin here is neat. It sort of like fits into all the Ghost Rider mythos. It is a gnarly, spooky, creepy, disgusting comic book, as, you know, Benjamin Percy likes to write, and Corey Smith does a good job here. Um, also, double shout out to all the variant covers. There's some really great ones with Exhaust. Um, there's a great one by Maria Wolf. She has been doing incredible oh, variant Chicago covers. Chicago Native. Oh, she's so good. I so good. Every time I see one of her covers, I lose it. But also the main cover is amazing. It's it's Ghost Rider, uh, Johnny Blaze half turning into Ghost Rider, holding up an FBI badge. It rules. All right. Next up, we have Legion of X number six. And I'm going to give my, this is a hard one. I'm going to break it in half. I'm going to break my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to two individual pages. One that's like a, like a semi-splash page where... We have Legion fighting against Uranus, and it is like the funnest war fight that we've seen in this. Oh my like, god! In this that like, one judgment, splash, Judgment Day, yes, that like where montage they're, like, shot, competing in infinite ways, which like you can leave to interpretation in a million different ways. But the way it's handled here is so fun and awesome, and like the images that we see are just there's dance offs, there's like them <laughs> playing musical instruments in like competition. It's hilarious. Yes. It's so funny. But then the other one is a, an all black filled in splash page with three words that are 100% absolutely damn right. 
All right, we've got Punisher War Journal Brother, number one. This is another issue that ties into the overall Punisher storyline that we've been going on, that Jason Aaron and crew have been doing. And it's another one that Torin Grunbeck comes in and crushes. I could have picked this one as well. Same. My Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award I'm giving to one, the sort of antagonist who comes to uh, fight Punisher at one point, which was like both a surprise and not a surprise and kind of absolutely perfect in every single way is someone i just i loved seeing but also the twists and turns that come through in this mm-hmm. book of like it feels like you're watching a really intense like born ultimatum style thriller action movie but just yeah. like way gorier and more intense all right we are going to a, a galaxy far far away with our first star wars issue this week um which is star wars number 28 And it follows Luke as he continues to infiltrate the Empire. But I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to the corridor ghouls that are in this issue, which they are so creepy. And at first you meet one and then you realize that there are hundreds of them uh, just wandering around. And they are so creepy and gross and terrifying. And I love them because I kind of want one. We have our new number one for Star Wars with Star Wars, the High Republic number one. Um, This follows the previous High Republic series. This one, I believe, is set uh, earlier, 150 years before the previous series. So um, we're getting different cast of characters, different setup. Things are are, are a bit different. But of course, you have Jedi and you have everything else. I want to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to artist Ario Anandito who just does such a great job. There's this like beautiful shot of giant city, two big splash of that so much detail in there, but the, the sort of world building, the character designs, there's a, a main character who we follow through this issue, uh, who's goes by the name of Vildar Mac. It's a simple little thing, but he's got this like design on his nose. The bridge of his nose it looks real cool. You'll see what happens to him when you read this issue. All right, next up, we have Star Wars Vision number one, and this is actually a prequel to the Disney Plus series that came out uh, last year. And it's very much in the same art style and aesthetic. It's by Takeshi Okazaki. And I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to him because the way that the issue is presented, it's very much a black and white issue. But in the same way that we've done like our Electra, like red or black, white and blood or like Wolverine, black, white and blood issues where only the color red is highlighted. But in this issue, it's very much like just primary colors with a hint of some of like the other colors. But it's really stylized and done in a way that like highlights certain things that I really, really liked. It's really cool. Back to the Marvel Universe with Venom number 11. We are getting deeper and deeper into all kinds of weirdness and revelations and, and secrets and stuff for uh, the Venom family, as it were. This issue is big one for Dylan Brock. I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to the world in which Dylan finds himself. The designs there that Brian Hitch puts together and like there's this double page establishing splash, which is gorgeous and it's freaky and it's weird and what's going on in there all the things that that brian and ram v and the team put together it rules all right next up we have wakanda number one and i'm gonna give my let's catch up evil stepmother award to stephanie williams who's a friend of the show but also the first writer in this issue i have been waiting for a book like this for a while i was very excited when they introduced tosin in the black panther series over with john ridley I've just been waiting for a street level Wakanda book. And that's what this is. Like, yes, it very much centers around Shuri, but the encounter that she finds herself in while it's completely entrenched in all the politics that are happening in the world of Wakanda right now, 
it is a very much like ground level threat that has a mystery to it. Like it's it's really fascinating how Stephanie manages to step back from all the politics and really takes us back to like, okay, what at its simplest core is a superhero story? Um, and how can we build that into this world and expand the world at the same time, um, which I really dug. And then it's actually a two-parter. There's a second half of this book that has a history of Black Panther origin, not origin, but like the mythos of Black Panther. And I loved it who, so much. It's so good, right? The art is fantastic. It, the way it's told is amazing. It, if you're a fan of Black Panther and you just love all the like mythos and like the the best of it all the gods of it all like the mysticism of it all this is for you uh we've got wolverine number 25 this week what a week in which wolverine number 25 does not become one of our three picks it is right? so damn good it remains so damn good uh this one also gives us two stories there's a main one by ben percy and federico vicentini which is it's it's a blast it's awesome as wolverine and solemn are trudging through the arctic to basically for the two of them to fight the progenitor the cel the celestial that is causing all the problems of axe judgment day with swords wolverine is like i am gonna fight him I love it. I, just the chutzpah of it all is so great. Um, but I want to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to the second story, which is called Bar Brawl, which is just Ben Percy talking about how much he loves bars through Wolverine. <laughs> and it is great because it's also just this story, this celebration of Wolverine and his life, his loves, his love of bars and fights and friendship and everything uh, with amazing artists. So you get you get a bunch of different artists coming in to do this story with Greg Land, Juan Ferreira, Andrea DeVito, Klaus Janssen, Emma Kubert. It, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. It, to me, is a very much like, who's Wolverine? Here, check this out. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have X-Force number 32. I would highly recommend you read Wolverine before you read this. It's not necessary, but it'll give you a little context of to where Wolverine is at during this. And the thing I love about this issue and what Ben Percy is doing here is Yes, this this story continues the arc that we've been on where Craven is essentially infiltrating Krakoa as like an ultimate test, like an ultimate hunt. Um, but the thing I like about it is the way that he uses this story to really like build up to like a, a crescendo of what's been happening in X-Force. Like it's almost like the tool that he needs to uh, really like get them all to confront all these weird things that are going on, like whether it's Sage whether it's Omega Red, whether it's Beast. Uh, also, can I just say Beast? What an yeah. this issue. Like, the worst. The worst. And like that's why like by the time that he ends this issue, like I'm very satisfied. But I'm going to give my Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom Award to the body that Black Tom Cassidy builds for Deadpool and the interaction that follows afterwards. Because it is so good. It's so funny. It made me laugh in the middle of all the action and drama that has been happening like we talked about this with Sinister, it's just fun to kind of take a step back and laugh, even though there's a, you know, apocalyptic war happening. I'm going to give a special Let's Catch Up Evil Stepmom award to Benjamin Percy this week for X-Force, Wolverine, yes. Ghost Rider, doing some bang up work. Sorry you didn't get a pick this week, Ben, but uh, you crushed it, as always. You get him like every other yeah, week, seriously. so chill. Uh, calm down, Benjamin Percy. <laughs> All right? Ugh. Chill out. 
All right, let's move on to collections on sale this week. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I want to point out Excalibur by Teeny Howard. Volume two is out this week and a cool digest sized Ms. Marvel Generations collection, which includes a whole bunch of issues. Um, the, the Generations issue, which I love, 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 and some other stuff in there. So check all those out. Over on Marvel Unlimited, we got a whole bunch of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We have X Unlimited number 56 coming out October 10th, along with Test Kitchen number three. Uh, we have Spider-Verse Unlimited number 19. Uh, we have Marvel Voices Nova Infinity Comic number 20. We also have Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal number six, but the one that I'm excited about is we've had the X Lives of Wolverine, the X Deaths of Wolverine. We had X of Sword, but now we're getting the X Loves of Wolverine, which is so juicy and I can't wait for it. And that is issue 19 of the Love Unlimited Infinity Comic series. Also on Marvel Unlimited this week, Avengers Forever number seven, Black Panther number seven, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number two, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number two, uh, Strange Academy number 18, which is the last issue of this first season. We've got new Strange Academy coming, so you definitely want to catch up on your Strange Academy and a lot more. Check all those out on Marvel Unlimited. All right. What about our reading club? Let's get into it. Yes, we are talking to Steve Orlando about Scarlet Witch and The Darkhold, uh, a miniseries that came out last year. It was a top pick for us. I think almost every issue of this was one of our picks of the week, because if it wasn't you, it was me. And if it wasn't me, it was Tucker who was picking it because it was such a just amazing book. Let's get into that right now. Jasmine, are you ready to tap into your darkest persona to talk about? Oh, I'm ready. We're going to talk about the dark hold, and we are joined no, by no, no, Steve. no, 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 no. We're going to be talking about the one true dark hold. <laughs> Very true. The one true dark hold, and we can only do that with writer Steve Orlando joining us once again on the show. Hello, Steve. Hey, it's good to be back uh, talking about cursed books. Yeah, yeah, Woo, yeah. cursed books. Gotta love them. I believe when when you came on last time, you were just like just kicking things off with Marauders, right? So like you were pretty new to the Marvel scene. Curse of the Man thing is the first thing that came out for me from Marvel, but this is actually my first Marvel work because of how the fates, uh, you know, the fates laid things out. So um, uh, now people are like, you know, probably have have gotten plenty of me at Marvel uh, and, and a lot more to come. But yeah, so it was a funny thing because this is my first Marvel work, but I think it's like the third, second or third thing that came out. Yeah, we'll get into the to the book fully, but you know, you talk about Curse of the Man thing, and and we mentioned Marauders, um, all the X stuff you're doing, which I get so hyped when I start reading your your X stuff because there's just some like wonderful deep cuts or like you're like tapping into little like wells of joyous mutant history or very upsetting mutant history that I love to read. So it's really good. Where are your like favorite lanes for Marvel comics as as both a fan and as a creator? I mean, it's 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 funny because, you know, yes, I do like a lesser known character, but it has to make sense for the story, of course. But that goes back even to when I was I, I was a kid. Right. So most kids probably I'm playing the odds here, but, you know, between Hulk and Abomination, most kids probably liked Hulk. But I always thought Abomination looked super cool. And I was reading uh, his his miniseries was coming out at the time that was like a counterpoint to future and perfect angel medina drew it i forget who wrote it probably peter david but he was the star right so like i was a big 
Like I loved, I loved Hulk world, but as, as perhaps in character for me, Hulk was a fun character, but not the person I was there for the most. I liked abomination and gray Hulk. Um, and he was not gray at the time. And so I've always, I've always sort of lurked around, you know, I, I love, I of course, love the X line. I've loved it since I was a kid. I, I wore out the pride of the X-Men VHS and we didn't have a comic store at that time. So to the extent where when 92 started my only exposure to the x-men had been the console arcade game and the pride of the x-men pilot so i was really confused when the new show came out uh why dazzler was southern could fly and not shooting lasers out of her hands and the seven <laughs> all you recognize is that it's a lady with a jacket so um it's a good thing i wasn't reading the epting avengers then because they just would have been all dazzler uh around that time so I, I got in a weird way. I, I've always loved that. I've always loved, uh, especially like the, the 90s era, Marvel Cosmic, like Morg uh, and, and, and Tyrant and things like that. I'm also a huge fan of the Inhumans, like as you would expect, the things that I like are not necessarily the, the, the mainstream sides of the line. Though that said, my favorite Marvel character is Captain America, and it doesn't get much more mainstream than that. I like that, though. I mean, it, it reminds me of I have this weird love and fascination for our humor books and our alternate reality stuff, like very specifically those and, and a lot of like the weird side characters. But like you give me a, a not brand X or what the or a what if. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm the happiest I could be. But I also, you know, my favorite characters are like the X books and, and Spidey stuff. So that mix of mainstream and off the beaten path, I think makes a lot of sense for folks who've been reading for years and years and years. Well, I think like your first comic experience sort of spirals outward. Like if you trace your DNA and I'm probably said it last time, I say it all the time because God knows why I remember this, but my first comic I ever bought, not just my first Marvel comic was a random issue of West coast Avengers. It was West coast Avengers. Yeah. 16, a tale of two kitties. It was about Tigra and Hellcat battling over who would get the Hellcat outfit. Uh, and then they team up to fight Tiger Shark, who's, if I, I'm guessing, a little bit, you know, kind of chauvinistic at the time. So they team up and they rip his dorsal fin and they beat him up. And then they decide to be, you know, to be friends forever. Uh, and so, you know, those are the Avengers to me. Vision in a white outfit, specifically. Hank Pym in a red Michael Myers outfit, specifically. <laughs> and, uh, and, and things like that. So you can, you can sort of see, like, it all grew from there. And because I got into comics without a comic shop, either in back issues, you know, like that, because that was like 1987, or in uh, trading card collections, right? Like, let's talk about Marvel masterpieces and things like that, which I collected incessantly because my father was sold sports memorabilia, and I was sort of uh, at, at generously agnostic towards baseball. So I would just, you know, get cards, every everything else, like Garbage Pail Kids, Marvel cards, DC cards, all of that stuff. And the thing is, is uh, when you look at those things and you have never, you don't have a comic store to give current stuff, you don't know who's who's a big deal and who isn't, right? It's like, oh, this guy looks cool. So that's why to this day, I'm still wondering when the much sexier Mojo 2 is going to come back, even though I think he <laughs> appeared in like two comics, but he sure got a trading card, right? So to me, he was just as important as Apocalypse. So we're obviously talking about the Dark Hold. The story begins in Abysmia, an underground location beneath the United States where Doctor Doom has uncovered the true Darkhold, the Book of Sins created by Jathan and bound by human flesh, and wakes up Wanda, aka the Scarlet Witch, in her West New York apartment by giving her a nightmare that claims that Jathan is coming. 
The Scarlet Witch quickly discovers the dig site and confronts Doom, warning her that readers of the Darkhold will go mad. Only she can control it. Despite this, Doom states that he has already read the book through the eyes of Doombots, the instant the book was found. Scarlet Witch tries to compromise with Doom. She hopes to team up to take Jathan down in his dimension, Other Realm, before he crosses over to theirs and becomes unstoppable. Doom agrees. Wanda reads the stories within the Darkhold to learn how to tame Chathan and learns that the Darkhold defenders, a team of five warriors who once drove Chathan back to his other realm prison. The team was composed of the Dreamer, the Fool, the Stoic, the Hunter, and the Artist, and Wanda suggests that they reform their own modern team of Darkhold defenders with the same magical aspects. Doom does not seek a team, for he is Doom, and he believes all five aspects all now rest in Doom. Doom ventures into other realms to challenge Chathan alone, as Doom does. As a backup for Doom's foolishness, Wanda recruits five modern defenders of her own. Iron Man the Dreamer, Blade the Hunter, Wasp the Artist, Black Bolt the Stoic, and Spider-Man the Fool. However, in order to defeat Chathan, the team must subject themselves to the Darkhold in order to survive other realm. But Wanda warns that them reading too much of the Darkhold will drive them mad. The five Darkhold defenders are skeptical at first, but are finally convinced to do so when they are interrupted by a badly defeated Doom. Shocker. They each decide to read a passage only to be driven mad by what they read. They are all transformed into Darkhold versions of themselves and lunge at Scarlet Witch. Thinking fast, Wanda sends them off to other worlds to fight Chathan, and they are immediately faced with hordes of demons. As they battle through the demons, they are confronted with a long-lost hero, Omega the Unknown, who helps them defeat their foes to reach Chathan. As they reach Chathan, Scarlet Witch and Doom appear as well for their final confrontation. Together, they all face off against Chathan, and Doom is quickly defeated as the Scarlet Witch takes the Darkhold and locks Chathan deep within it. She then takes possession of the Darkhold and Chathan along with it, absorbing them within herself and finally putting a rest on his endeavors. Chathan is defeated, the Darkhold defenders are restored to their former selves, and our heroes are returned to Earth where Scarlet Witch can finally be free of this chapter of her life. And you mentioned that this was your first work at Marvel that you worked on. Why the Darkhold? You know, I was just, at the time, I was just coming off Milk Wars, uh, a book I did at the other place, where Gerard, Way, and I got to sort of show run. And the setup was that we were going to do this big overarching story with, you know, bookend issues, but play it a little differently than the normal type of mini event format, because that, you know, that, that format has taken on the, the code name mini event now in the industry. But we wanted it to be where all of the middle one shots were happening at the same time. You know, we, we had a, a big opener and a big closer, and then all of the one shots were basically, you know, like take your pick of movies where everybody comes together at the end, you know, like the strange version of Crash. Uh, and so we wanted to try that at Marvel, and Darkhold was a perfect opportunity for that because we had our bookend stories, the Alpha and the Omega, you know, Scarlet Witch and, and the Darkhold Defenders uh, confronting Cathan along with Doctor Doom. And just like we saw every character in, in, in Milk Wars confront uh, a homogenized version of one of the DC heroes, here was our chance to use the one-shots that were all, again, modular. You, I mean, if you only, you know, God love the salespeople for me saying this, but if you only care about Blade, you can just read the Blade one and see what the Darkhold does to him, so on and so forth. Um, but that modular approach was interesting to us, and it also allowed for the, the folks working one-shots in between a huge amount of creative freedom, which 
is important to me. You know, that's how we'd run the previous event. That's how we want to run this. Other than the prompt of this is the ultimate road not taken for these characters. You know, we were hands off because that's the way that's the way I like to be. People do their best work when you, you know, they have they have a couple guardrails and then otherwise they can just go wild. So that's what we saw with Darkhold. That's why I'm extremely proud of of the intervening one shots. And that was that was sort of the goal to take what ha had been successful for me as as a quote unquote showrunner um, elsewhere uh, and apply it to a Marvel mini event. And the Darkhold with the way we set it up you know, telling these stories that never happened, but would have been the worst possible path you could take. It just seemed like the perfect fit to not only do this mini event, but bring in extra creators and let them run wild. You you call, you know, use the, the term showrunner. How much of the, the, the casting process for the writers and the artists were you involved in with, you know, uh, the, the editors on the books, I believe were Will Moss and Sarah Brunstead. Uh, Alana Smith and some folks. Um, but were you able to say, hey, I think Ryan North, you know, Ryan, who's like a silly boy, would also do really great with body horror or even Daniel Kibblesmith, who does a lot of humor stuff. He comes in and, and knocks out of the park with something nasty, too. I think it's a funny thing, though. You say like, oh, Ryan's the nice, you know, he's a squirrel girl guy and Daniel's a funny guy. But I think it's the same as when you see in in in, in film and TV, oftentimes uh, comedy is hard. Funny is hard in many ways, harder than drama. So I think I'm not surprised to see that a lot of folks came onto this book um, and stepped into a genre you might not expect from them and crushed it because you see that with like, for example, comedic actors stepping into serious and dramatic roles. I find that that motion is sometimes easier to make creatively than the reverse. If, you know, I'm not a funny person. Uh, I might be a sarcastic person, you know, but I, I don't know that I could do would Ryan uh, and Daniel do on a lot of their work? They're geniuses, you know. So and 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 I, I was not surprised that they were able to step in. Brian, when you when you mentioned casting, I thought you were going to go a different direction because I'm curious. Like when you, I guess in, in another sense, casting, did you have any say in what characters were going to go through the dark old stories? Oh man, I gotta think back. You know, I'm getting old here. The answer is yes. Other than we knew we wanted to use Iron Man because Will had spoken to Ryan and knew he had this killer body horror take. We we're like, we got to do Iron. And then after that, it was about, you know, creating a team that was both interesting to me and interesting to the other folks involved. Um, and of course, it would get attention, you know, and to as well, just to paint myself as a creator and also an enthusiast for comics. You never know if, you know, I, I'm not entitled to further work at Marvel at this time. So I was like, if I'm going to do this book, I got to get Spider-Man in there. I got to get like some of my Marvel favorites in there. In my case, that was Black Bolt because Black Bolt is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Um, I was curious about that. I love Black Bolt and uh, hope to work with him again someday. So well, he was, was just like, he was kind of like benched during that time. Like he, like the Inhuman books have all kind of been wrapped up for now. And like, it was just cool to see him come out of the woodwork. And well, I'm just trying to incept the audience and you guys. If I keep using <laughs> bit, bit appearances by the Inhumans, who knows what will happen. The funny thing is, is that he's walking on the surface of Mars uh, when they pick him up pick him up you know when wanda like summons him and um i'll be honest like at the time i was like I, what if i pitch in humans and you know x-men you know the mutants it's got to be different than the mutants and i was not in the x office at this time as you'll see when the story ends i was like the mutants just have an island what could be different what if the inhumans get a whole planet and then they have to settle it so and it was going to be mars that's why he's walking there and then of course <laughs> months later i joined the x-men office a month after that planet size x-men comes out and i'm just like I want to jump back over to West Coast Avengers. I was thinking about, you know, you said that issue 16 was your first comic. 
did you stick with West Coast Avengers? You know, I, I, obviously you said you didn't have a comic shop, so it's kind of difficult at times. But were you did that like be like, oh, this is the title I want to keep on? Well, by the time I did have a comic shop, it was called Force Works. Um, and I did still follow it because Force Works, as folks will know, had all of those West Coast Avengers characters. So I, I didn't. I was just getting back issues, you know, what back issues I could. And most of them were from like the Engelhart era. Engelhart was the writer of West Coast 16. The reason I bring up, uh, go back to Avengers West Coast, I, I remember having copies of West Coast Avengers 56 and 61, like unconnected issues, but in the same general time frame and, and reading them over and over again, but not having any deep affection for them. But those, that's when Scarlet Witch really has a turn and there's all kinds of stuff going on with her. And it made me think of, of you know, her importance in, of course, the Darkhold saga. Did you go back and read anything specifically as you were building this Darkhold event? Well, we we looked into the history with Cathan specifically for this, just because that's what we knew we were going to try to kind of untangle. But you are right. Like a lot of her issues, I mean, I couldn't tell you what issue it is, but like what child was not horrified by the cover where Master Pandemonium's arms are her magic children, right? Terrifying. and what oh, a yeah. specific gimmick for a villain to 52 have. Like, for everyone yeah. who wanted to go to Marvel Unlimited. 52. I will I will take your kids and make them my hands is like <laughs> a very specific villain gimmick. And I'm still waiting for a Master Pandemonium cosplayer to show that just either. Well, the ideal would be that they have two kids that he's just strung in a harness under his cloak and they're his actual kids. But I would I would be satisfied for some guy that just mocks up some babies on his hand. That'd be incredible. Yeah, you would win. You would win my heart at least. But no, so we so we did go back and look at that. Uh, but most of it was the focus on her relationship with Cathan. And to be frank, how it had evolved since, you know, the stuff we're talking about through everything that happened with him at Absolute Carnage and things like that. You know, it was about what was going to come into play here, what could work here, and yeah, how we could put a button on on her ongoing struggles uh, with Cathan because we knew as well that Trial of Magneto was going to be coming up after the delay. And when we got back into finishing Darkhold, we knew Trial was coming up and it kind of made sense that we were closing the book on a lot of her ongoing struggles and Mm -hmm. opening a new book as we did at the end of Darkhold. You mentioned earlier how sometimes you'll you'll do some of your best work when you have like a beginning and an end, like an end goal. Is this one of those? Because it sounds like that's kind of what you you had in mind here, where you knew where you wanted the story to end. Well, I'll be honest. No, I mean, we were, I was, you know, myself and editorial were the ones that decided that we were going to do this Cathan stuff and try to give her some real movement forward. And from there, yes, it was about how to get there. But the, the B to my A definitely came from within in this case. And it was because, you know, like I've, I always loved Wanda, like what young, like, at least what young queer reader does not love exactly. a, 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 <laughs> a witch. Um, when you're like seven, but she had for a long time been defined by her suffering. And so we wanted to give her some real wins, you know, because everybody suffers, everybody struggles, but everybody deserves a win too. So, so we, we sort of picked our lane, uh, and that was the Darkhold related stuff, the Cathan related stuff. And we did want to give her a real win because if Cathan, you know, I've said it in, in interviews and things like this, but. If if his whole like I've tainted you from birth and I've always been following you and all these things is a metaphor for like mental health struggles, then we wanted to give her a win that felt real. And obviously, as folks know, you know, it's very rare that you're quote unquote cured. It's very rare that you quote unquote win. It's about managing and finding solutions. Finding it. And so that, that's where the ending of Darkhold came from. She doesn't she's tried for so long to destroy Cathan, but you can't. 
you know, uh, because of the type of power he is. But she can do, and what she does is chain him inside herself. And now, just like folks who are trying to manage and, and, and carve out a life for themselves, she has to devote some of her power all the time, keeping Kathan chained within her soul. But but what is that except what we all do, you know, uh, with, with our own struggles? So for me, it was about taking this arc that had been going on for decades in Wanda's case and wrapping it in a way that really sort of gives her more agency. Everybody wants to know if she's more powerful than before. And I would say she is, but not in like a blasting thing sense. She's more powerful because she has more control over her life. To me, that's the real power. You know, for the first time in a long time, Wanda's really holding the rudder of her own fate. And I think that's pretty exciting. That's beautiful. I love that a lot. When did you initially start working on, on this project? 1978, Ryan. Ooh, wow, just a couple, just a couple uh, years ago. Back, back when, uh, yeah, I was faxing the pages in. <laughs> we started in 2020. Uh, no, okay. I mean that—that's the joke. We started in January, in February 2020. <laughs> so you can see that that was an ill-fated time. Yeah, it, it's difficult, but it, it all worked out. I think, of course, in a lot of ways, it also works in your favor. Y'all had some really forward-thinking ideas about Wanda and, and the place that she would be in and in, in sort of broader pop culture too. Um, because mm-hmm. where she she is this year sort of finds some interesting places, some of the, the characters and thoughts. Uh, how much of that overall story were you also thinking about what you wanted to do further down the line now that you actually have a Scarlet Witch book that you're able to write? Well, I mean, I think everybody always has an idea for what's next. In freelance life, you're never entitled to anything, right? So, like, certainly we had a plan, but I, you never assume. And you never want to hold anything back either. That's the other thing. Like, it, it kills me when some of my peers are like, oh, man, like, Arc 2 is such a banger. Well, like, Arc 2 is never guaranteed. So you got to, like, make Arc 1 a banger. Don't save your best stuff for issues that might not happen. Keep coming up with even better stuff. Start at best. Keep challenging yourself. So... Um, yeah, we had ideas where we would go uh, after Darkhold if there was a Wanda book. But look, the reality is you gotta you gotta think on your feet. You gotta be ready to dance. And we knew that Darkhold was happening, and then Trial was happening. So in essence, the the need to sort of think on our feet and wait for the stars to align only benefited us with Scarlet Witch because there's there's even more. You know, at the end of Darkhold, she says, "I'm free." You know, it's a new day, uh, and that's even more true. <laughs> since the end of that book due to the other things that have been going on in her life. So it's the perfect time to see her build back up uh, and start somewhere new. I love that you, Brian, when you were talking about like Wanda being in such a like higher place in pop culture now, I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before I was looking at uh, a list of the most popular Halloween costumes for the past like two years. And like, if you would have told seven-year-old me that Wanda would be at the top of that for women, like, would never believe you because like she was such a like small character like if you knew you knew but it's just crazy how she's just skyrocketed into popularity i know people who like actively search for like her comics um and i i'm very excited for your run steve and i know that like a lot of people are looking forward to finally holding a scarlet witch comic well i'll tell you and it's gonna i mean you know whether or not you think I'm a fool, God love you but like like marvel and you guys have set me up with uh, there could not be a better team to bring Wanda outside mm-hmm. of myself. Uh, I'm, I would never say that about myself. That's for others to say. But to be teamed with Sara Pacelli on the interiors, to be teamed with uh, Russell Dowderman on covers, there could not be a stronger team to represent her world uh, and the world we're kicking off for her. So like, I'm, I'm super, super excited for everybody to see the book. Every time I get more pages, oh man. I mean, I don't want to anger 
the 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 solicitation gods, but I will say I just saw the layouts to issue three, and it's not a spoiler, uh, but I will say the structure of issue three is an ode to the old Prince Valiant comics, where we have sort of removed the panel boundaries and we're doing maybe a little more narration, but also like a ton of big, rich splashes like you would get uh, without panel borders and things like that. We talked about Chathan. We talked about some of the characters who showed up in Darkhold. Character we haven't talked about yet is Doom. How much fun is it to write Doom? He just he just takes over a page. It feels like He's so much fun. Uh, no, Doom is amazing. Like, and and this is the thing. You know, I don't know if fans know, but what stunned me about Doom, and and you do, I'm sure know this. Like, he's kind of protected internally because he's such an icon. Like, you kind of got a stump to use him. And so the fact that folks, uh, you know, were up for me using him in my first Marvel work was I felt a huge responsibility and it was a great vote of confidence. Um, but it also fit, you know, the doom does things that only doom can do. Look at Secret Wars, you know, where all of reality is destroyed. But who would dare face down the Beyonders? Well, he would. So it made sense, of course. The minute we realized that you couldn't read the Darkhold without losing your mind, the, the second thought in all of our minds was, well, one guy can. You know, um, and that's where you get that moment where Wanda's like, you can't read it, Victor. Like, you'll lose your mind. And he's like, what are you talking about? I read it 30 minutes ago. You know, like, uh, no man can read without losing their mind except Doom, you know, like and, and except Doom is kind of like what's amazing about the character. You kind of talked about this. And like now that you're talking about Doom, it reminded me like with Wanda, you kind of grabbed all these like loose ends throughout her story, like throughout the years and kind of brought it together and brought it to a head. And. I was just fascinated with the fact that like you brought in the children's crusade and like Doom's experience in that arc as well. And Wanda's experience, like were these things that you wanted to hit or like points that you wanted to hit throughout your, your story or were they just like, Oh, we can just kind of tie this in here or like what came well, first, I guess. It's a little bit of both, but you know, the reality is like once Doom was a player in it, he brainwashed Wanda and made her marry him, which is, you know, bleep me if you need to, but that is Okay, like, and so it would be. It was. It would always be weird to me if they're both going to be the book and she didn't bring it up. But then also, it's a micro version of what Cathan's done to her his whole life. You know, Doom tried to dominate her and turned her into a pawn, and then paid for it. She lit him on fire, uh, and and that is the same thing that Cathan has been doing. So it almost made him like a dark mirror. Well, I guess a light mirror to invert the phrase because he's slightly more heroic than Cathan. But when dealing with him as a villain, it just to, to hit on that and show that she's over already overcome like mm -hmm. in the grand scheme a tiny version of what she's gone through with Kathan. I air quote tiny because it was still rough, but compared to a lifetime of this stuff, it's a little different. So she's already beaten like one version of this. There's a nice sort of feeling to the fact that she's teaming up with this guy that she's already overcome to beat the giant version, overarching version of the same concept. We also got to talk about another of your collaborators, your artistic collaborator for the Alpha and Omega issues, Sean Torme, who is just delightful. Uh, at the same time, yeah, he crushed this book. Um, and, you know, it wasn't an easy book to draw, uh, for better or worse. Uh, we set up the small goal of come up with wholly new, uh, like Hellraiser inspired versions of Marvel characters, when, for better or worse, we've seen a lot of versions of Marvel characters. And, and, and yet, the design aesthetics he came up with were so original, uh, so like sort of grotesque in a way that I found very pleasing, right? Like Wasp having the insectoid things coming out of her mouth. So cool. Like, uh, you know, like sugar and water, like D'Onofrio in, in Men in Black. 
mm-hmm. where it was just so good. Um, Iron Man's arm this. is the thing that grosses me out the most. Oh, where the, where the hand gets blown off every time because uh, when he uses uh, the repulsor. It's like gooey. It feels like it, it would be gooey, but it's still throwing out missiles and ugh. There's one panel yeah. where he's aiming it like directly at the reader and it's just like a blob and I'm like, ew. Yeah, Iron oh. Man to me looked like that henchman that falls into the toxic waste in the original Robocop. Uh, which, <laughs> to be fair, toxic waste is bad. But again, as a kid, I was sure that that is exactly what would happen. That like rather than just like getting cancer, you would become like a strange trauma mutant, which I don't think is how it works. But that, again, that's clearly a formative moment for me. Um, one of the other characters that we need to talk about, because this was a huge shock for me when I saw it pop up, um, because we had just finished talking to... Uh, who did we? Who was it that we had the reading club about this mm. with, Ryan? Oh, it was uh, this guy. His name is uh, Mark Wade. Yeah, we I, talked with a, very, a Mark Wade about Omega the Unknown. He's a small, small time, but we talked to him about this character, and when he brought it to us, we were just like, "Whoa!" Like very deep cut. He wanted to do uh, a reading club on the original eight issue series, but to see him pop up here in this book was a shock. Can you tell us a little bit about Omega the Unknown and? where he came from the question often with these events is like what do we get out of it right like we do these events but how can we also be additive how can we also push things forward and there were a couple candidates as to who could be get stranded uh, other world and of them one of them was on neon the other two were not available for legal reasons And the good thing is I was excited about all three of them, because as you had maybe noticed when talking to up and comer Mark Wade, those books are ahead of their time. Like they're they're so strange. They're so provocative. And and just the tone is so unique. Right. Because he's like he's like a like nobody talks like the kid in the on the unknown. Like he's he's a bizarre person. And and I just I just love the original Gerber run. I also, by the way, love the Lethem run uh, that that came after. Uh, which I also read for this book. And, um, you know, Ryan was asking about plans. Like, of course, we did not plan to take time off. Uh, and we and, and so the situation was a little different. We were planning the book. But the hope was, yeah, to sort of to reintroduce him and fit him into a unique role in the Marvel Universe, which could still be done, of course, and we hope to someday. But it was just uh, a character that felt like the right time. Xion had a great design uh, that I, that, I, I loved. And to that point, you know, Neon, uh, well, he's never called Neon in the book. The lead uh, is sent to Earth to sort of observe us and gather information. So it made sense to me that the new version, which you end up finding out is the kid from the original book, uh, would be doing the same. You know, he basically goes on strange science Daria Rumspringa and, and is observing madness across different realms of the Marvel Universe and gets caught in Otherworld, which is a world of pure madness as well. So it just felt like a nice way to get him in. And again, once I started seeing the designs, uh, there was no going back. We had to bring him in. We had to make him cool. And I still love that character. I hope to come back to him someday. And when we're off the air, I'll tell you who the other two were. Yes, I want to know. <laughs> I think that's a perfect um, way to say Jasmine and I want to learn some secrets. So we're going to wrap this up. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, we got to make sure you get back to writing some kick-ass comics. Uh, always a pleasure. My pleasure. I will do an unsolicited plug. What's on my desk right now is X-Men Green. So if folks are not following that, A, subscribe to Marvel Unlimited. It's awesome. And B, read X-Men Green, which is part of X-Men Unlimited. If you want to talk about an amazing collaborator, uh, Emilio Lazo, crushing it. Like, just like hidden gem work. And the nice thing is this gem is free. 
uh, for the most part if you have Marvel Unlimited. So check that out. And that's what I'm working on uh, right after this call. Dope. And Scarlet Witch is coming out when? Scarlet Witch is out in January. And as I said, amazing interior work by Sarah Pichelli and incredible covers by Russell Dowderman. And for folks who wanted to see more of Wanda's unique, singular, and provocative chosen family, there's, I can't tell you who's on the covers of two and three, but I think you'll be happy. Thanks again, Steve. Uh, This was awesome. It's my pleasure always. Big thanks once again to Steve Orlando. Uh, as he mentioned, we got X-Men Green. We've got uh, Marauders. We've got the new Scarlet Witch series coming up. And even more we can't share just yet. But soon, 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 yes. we'll be talking about even more Steve Orlando goodness. So thanks to him. I'm sure he'll be on the show sometime again in the future. But... We got to get the heck out of here. It's been a long one. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill DeBach is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And when Brad actually read From the Darkhold, he uh, mm-hmm. he just went into full podcast mode and he created a mm-hmm. series called Chillin' with Chathon, which was him and just Chathon sitting down, talking about the day's issues, getting into some spicy, controversial territory. It was uh, big Brad energy. Yeah, the sad thing is, though, like it, it hasn't really made the charge because no one can listen to it. Because if you do, you'll just spontaneously combust. So it's doing no numbers. Sorry, Brad. Sorry, Brad. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Chilling with Chabon. <laughs>